All right, good morning, everybody. This morning, if you'll turn to Psalms 144, that's where we'll be today, and 145 and 146. We'll get through all three of those this morning. Next week, we'll finish up the book of Psalms. Tonight, uh, 7 o'clock, at the Maryville Aquatic Center, we've rented the pool out for the church for a baptism. Um, I don't know if we have anybody to be baptized after we did our Mazinga one, but we're going to have a pizza party, and we're going down some water slides regardless. Uh, You're welcome to to come out for that tonight. You don't have to swim. You can just come and eat and fellowship and hang out. Um, But that starts at 7 to 9. Yeah, I I think that'd be great, John. Do a baptism down the slide and try to say it really quick before they get into the water. (laughs) I think that'd be awesome. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning and our time in your word, time in singing and worship and praise, time in prayer and our time with each other to to lift up holy hands to you, God. We pray that you'd um, prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us in these beautiful songs of thanksgiving and and reliance upon you as the writer um, is uh, just desperate for you. And we are too, in Jesus' name, amen. As David writes these beautiful psalms, he has lived a life of needing God a lot. Um, we all need God, but David had a special way of putting himself in a place where he needed God. You know, whether that was watching sheep by himself with a stick, you know, and uh, and the predators were out there and they were sometimes bigger than he was, um, he carried that on into his life. Whether that was with Goliath, or you know, the famous story. Um, He threw himself in the mix um, because he wanted to bring God glory in his life, and he trusted the Lord and felt that calling on his life. He didn't do it just to be an adventure seeker, you know. He did it because he knew that's what that was the plan for God in his life, and so he did it. He didn't he didn't consider his own strength. He didn't consider his own safety. He considered the call of God on his life, and he went in that direction. And it was up to God to keep him on that path or safe on that path. So David writes these beautiful psalms about how he's experienced that. Sometimes when I read these psalms, I get the sense that, you know, he doesn't always save or protect. A lot of people don't make it out of the fight alive. Christians, I mean, we have an entire book called the Fox's Book of Martyrs, whereas you read these psalms, you'd be like, I wonder if they prayed these psalms or needed to, you know. It isn't like that, and we have to understand that when we read these stories, there were times when David was absolutely protected, and there were times when other people that were believers aren't, because it still brought God glory. There was a reason that they would go through these things, and we have to know that ourselves. David's life was in God's hands. Like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, or Daniel, or any of these men, or women, would put their lives in God's hands and say, if today you allow my life to be taken, so be it. Today, if you decide to preserve my life, so be it. The idea was, my life is in your hands. So understand that as we go through these Psalms, that that is David just singing about the times he saw God step in and save him. You know, But David eventually succumbs. He eventually ends up in heaven. You know, That's a common thing. And every one of us is going to find ourselves in that place. No one's going to escape death only until God brings us home or takes us home. Recently, Paul Smith, um, Chuck Smith's brother, just recently passed away August 3rd. Uh, a great loss for us, but a, you know, a, a beautiful ending to a beautiful life for him. Um, he's home with the Lord right now and, 
and uh, was faithful to carry on. Um, and, and he wasn't carrying on Chuck's ministry. He had his own ministry throughout his whole life, but often most of the time it paralleled with Pastor Chuck's life. And, um, but it ended well. You know, I watch these guys that die in the faith, and I want to be that guy that dies in the faith. David is one of those guys that dies in the faith, you know, finishing well. Um, so these psalms are encouraging to me while I'm waiting for that moment. Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. David was a king. David needed to lead. He needed people to follow. Of course, that was their choice. And he understood that. And so prayer for the nation of Israel was a common thing for David, that they might willingly choose to follow him. And he's giving God glory for that. That's what he means by subdues. The people, the people follow me, you know. And what a, what a wonderful thing that is for David to praise God for. I was thinking about the camp this week. What a wonderful camp it was. We, we say that every year because it is every year a wonderful camp. You can't avoid it. When, when God's Holy Spirit through people, normal people, just pour out love into these little kids and these little kids just soak it up like sponges, not always expressing it, but it is happening. You can't help but say what a wonderful what a wonderful camp. And that's the idea. We, we all are led by the Lord, and the Lord called us to do that, whether you were in prayer at home and looking at the pictures and praying for our safety and praying for the teachers and all that, or whether you are on site actually doing the work. That was a, a burden on your heart by the Lord. You're following Jesus. You're following the Holy Spirit. And I thank God for that. What a blessing that is. We have a very strong, healthy fellowship. I, every pastor probably says that, but I'm witnessing a very strong and healthy fellowship, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. Um, I say that because, and, and, I, and I compare a little bit, and I try not to compare, but it's hard not to compare. Our, our church camp is scratch. It's from scratch. It's, it's homemade, and I, that's a very important thing for me. The gifts and the abilities and the callings upon different people's lives in this church were allowed to manifest itself into this camp and then be delivered to these kids by the Holy Spirit. There are temptations when it gets to be a, a lot of work and it's hard and difficult to maybe scroll through the online vacation Bible school in a box kind of thing, you know. It comes with the crafts, it comes with the teachings, it comes with the outlines and the schedules. It's like, that'd be nice sometimes, you know? Nobody has to do a thing. But does that make us strong and healthy? Because not only the kids were ministered to, everybody that served was ministered to. And they grew. You got to persevere. Wednesday's easy, kind of, you know? Setting up's a little hard. Thursday, you got it. Caffeined, ready, backpack on, I'm ready to serve. Friday, Friday, you know, <laughs> and you still love and you still pour out and you still care regardless of what your physical feelings are. You're, God, I am weak, Lord, but because of my weakness right now, whatever comes out of me has got to be you, you know, 
and the kids are blessed all the way through. I saw a young lady sneak out. I was behind the, um, the mess hall uh, where we eat, and I was blowing stuff up for the next game, and I saw her crying. It was one of our counselors, and I was, oh, honey, what happened? What's wrong? You know, she goes, nothing, nothing, nothing. I just needed a moment. That's it. She wiped dry. She got back in there and she just kept going. You know, she missed her kids. (laughs) I won't tell you her physical infirmity because then I'll identify her and you'll all know who I'm talking about. So I won't say it, but she got hurt and she missed her kids, but she was not going home and she wasn't going to quit. She just wiped her eyes, let out what she needed to let out and got back in there and still continued to minister while the kids were eating. Didn't even take time away. You know, they were busy eating. That is a strong, healthy fellowship. You follow Jesus. It isn't uh, my idea to compare everything (laughs) to war when it comes to the Bible. It's God's idea. We read this stuff. uh, He trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. It's It's not... You know, it's not a background that I have that I think needs to be brought out every time we teach. It's just a common theme in Scripture because he understood, David understood that. What I'm doing physically to the Philistines and to all the enemies of the nation of Israel is a spiritual thing. It's a physical expression of what's happening physically or spiritually in everybody's life. And so when he writes a song, he's not glorifying war. He's saying that's just what it's like to walk with God. And God is faithful to not throw us into a war or a battle ill-equipped. He trains us. He strengthens us. He puts us through stretching exercises. Spiritually speaking, he, he gets us limber. He gets us stronger. He builds us up so that we can, well, we can do well. Because nobody wants to serve God poorly. We want to serve God well. And he does that. And David is so appreciative. He understands when I was a shepherd boy, that was training for this. Thank you, God, for that, he says. Verse 3, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters and from the hand of foreigners. Whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of ten strings I will sing praises to you. The one who gives salvation to kings. Who delivers David, his servant, from the deadly sword. He's just going over some things that have happened to him. I've shaken a lot of hands as a king. I've, I've done that moment with other leaders in the world. These other people that, well, they're not like us. They don't believe in our gods. They worship other gods. And it's rare that I shake hands with someone who doesn't have an agenda or some other motive other than what's being presented at the, at the time. David's very careful about that. I don't think he's, I don't think he's paranoid. I think he's just got experience. I think it's always wise to be not leery, but cautious. You know, I don't want to come to everybody that's outside of the faith and say, "Mm," you know, but I also don't place my trust there. I'll shake hands. I'll make agreements. And then I pray. 
that God would be the Lord of that agreement, that he would guard and protect every aspect of it. And we do our best. And I think that's what David's talking about here. Thank you for coming down. You're so big. As David knows that God is his friend and that he's been alongside of him, even as he was, you know, there's intimate times when you're a shepherd boy, but there's also political times and and public times where that's more um, grand. I don't know what the right word is. What I mean by that is, you know, the difference between a quiet, I I have quiet times and then I have moments like these. Both are with God. But one is very personal and very friendly and close, and one is very somewhat formal. You're doing a job, you're doing your calling, this is what you do, make sure, you know, there's a difference between the two. David's just acknowledging that. You are my friend, but you are also a great God. And I can't believe that you even spend time with me alone. I mean, who has time to spend time with some shepherd kid in the field and train him and then help me administer this huge responsibility of being king? He's just hitting both sides of the spectrum of our Lord. And how God can do that is amazing. And a good lesson for us, you know. A good lesson for us to be that friend, but also to be the leader that people need in their lives. To be the the blessing that they need, the servant that they need. God is both. Deliver me. I, I, I want you to watch out for me. I'll sing you songs if you deliver me from that deadly sword. I so appreciate that, God. I can't imagine what that's like. Sometimes I see those reenactments of battles where just a bunch of group of guys over there and a bunch of group of guys over there, they just run into each other. And it's all mixed up then like a blender and they're all just swinging and swinging. It's like, gee whiz, how do you know? You know, who bumped me? Do I kill him or hug him? You know, kind of thing. What a horrible, horrible situation to be in. David's been in many of those situations, I'm sure. And, and of course, nothing touched him. We don't have any documentation of him ever being injured. Not a scratch, you know. How is that? Well, he knows who that is. It's the Lord. God protected him in that situation. Verse 11, rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners. <laughs> Please understand, when he's saying that, he's not saying, get them foreigners away. He's not, there's no twang in that at all. It's not that kind of attitude. He just means people that follow the true and living God versus people that don't and are, are wayward and people that need to be saved kind of thing. So keep that in mind as we go through this. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of the foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth that our daughters may be as pillars uh, sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden, and that there be no breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. I can identify with every one of those things. God, don't let my cows out. That's what he says. Don't let them break out and don't let anybody break in. Keep those wayward bulls away from my cows. I don't want that, you know. Rod McKinney was telling me a story about that. He's got some bulls in a field over here. Well, there's a herd of cows mixed with heifers over there, and they all got their little shot, their hormone shot, to put them in heat at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> now, for three bulls looking at a herd like that, that's awfully hard to not 
you know, and they got out. <laughs> I don't know how you stop three bulls when you got to hurt them. Anyway, you pray. You know, God help. Keep my oxen in and keep their oxen out, you know. What he's asking for here, and I think this is important for all of us, when we pray to God that God would protect us from foreigners and guard us from all that thing, there's a reason, you know. Not so that my life's inconvenienced by their unbelievers or such a pain. No, I just want to protect my, my youth, my kids, my sons, my daughters. I want to protect my land, my, my, my livelihood, the blessings in my life, the fruit that God is giving me, you know, whether that's in the field or at home. I want that protected. So that's why I pray for protection. Not for me personally, but I mean, yeah. I, I, I think about that sometimes when someone says, I'd take a bullet for you. Well, if you took the bullet for somebody, they're going to get the person you're protecting because you're gone. So it didn't do anybody any good for you to take the bullet. What you want to be able to do is win that battle. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to take a bullet for anybody. I do want to stop a threat. You see what I mean? There's a difference between that. If our security guy said, I stood in the way, great. And then they walked over you and did what they planned to do anyway. No, we want to stop, you know, the threat. David is praying ahead of time, God, stop the threat that would endanger my kids, that would endanger my crops, that would, I need your protection over every area of my life, God. That's a wonderful prayer to pray and and pray it often. Psalm 145. A song of God's majesty and love. Now, this is where he gets to the, the formal, the, the, the king position of our Lord. I will extol you, my God, O king. And I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. How do you bless God? You know, I think it's important to understand David knew how to bless the Lord. What does he need from us? What could he possibly get from us to make his day better? I mean, he is who he is. He's sovereign. He's omniscient, omnipotent. He's got all these things. He's, he's complete by himself. How do I add, you know? I don't know that we add, but what David's heart is, is I want to bless you, Lord, and What a blessing for a father to see his son speak well of him. It is as simple as that. It it maybe sounds a little bland, but that's all David is doing. When I talk about my God, I don't complain about him. I don't shake my fist at him. I don't give him a sour look. I don't turn away from him. I follow him. And I praise him with song. And it doesn't matter what kind of day I'm having. I will extol you every day. I will lift you up every day. I will bless you every single day because of who you are. That's a wonderful thing. That's how you bless God. I don't want to bless God when I'm feeling like he's done what I expected him to do. And I don't bless him when he doesn't do what I thought he should do. I bless him because of who he is. David does that. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glories of, or the, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Um, 
it is our responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. I mean, you, you always say this as a parent, you want your kids to learn from what you say and from what you teach them, not from the hard knocks of life, not from experience. Trust me when I say this is a bad path to be on because I've been on it, you know? Um, and I think that's part of this. I've been following the Lord for more years than I didn't follow the Lord now. You know, I'm over that halfway mark, and I'm very grateful for that. And I can compare the two, and I can share that with my kids. And sometimes I try to do it in a humorous way because it's, it's a hurtful life that I lived before Christ. It was full of sin. There was a lot of harm done. And I don't know how to share that with them without a little bit of humor. I'm not exalting it or making it. I'm just saying, can you believe how stupid I was? You know, Could you believe how self-centered I was? How oblivious to the world around me and the people around me and the harm that I did? You know, And it's a little funny because it's like, yeah, that was just dumb, Dad. You know, yeah, it was. But you can also then compare that as you have to tell them the history of that, but they can see the fruit in your life from walking with him now. I, I hear a lot of people say that, that start with the Lord later on in life. You know, they receive Christ. They're born again. And they mourn, and I think you should. I think that's appropriate. The, the wasted time, you know. Oh, why did I wait so long? Why did I, why did I sow so many weed seeds? Why did I hurt so many? Why didn't I, why, why, why? And I get it. And it's okay to mourn that. I'm glad that you're not celebrating it, I guess. Let's put it that way. But you've got to start walking with God now. Now, let's stop planting the weed seeds and stop. And you can remember all that. That's fine. God doesn't remember your sin anymore. But I know that that's fresh in your mind because you're just starting your walk. But now start planting fruit. And don't plant weeds. And start building up that testimony. And so people can see the contrast. What you're starting now is the contrast between a sinful life and a righteous life. And they can see the difference, you know. And that's a wonderful testimony to share. That's what he's saying. I will tell the next generation of all the things you've done. How you saved me. How you've forgiven me. How you've given me mercy. How you've given me victory. How you've been my shield and my protector, my fortress. You're my all in all. I will tell them about that. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. David has recognized that later on in life. It's, it's an interesting comparison to... Um, well, what, what uh, um, Solomon wrote, you know, Solomon's little depressing book, everything's vanity. I mean, it's all, none of it's good. I don't know if there's anything worthwhile down here. It's all horrible. I've tried every avenue of sin and it all ended up in a bit. Well, what David has noticed on the opposite end and son didn't pick up on apparently the Lord is gracious and full of compassion and slow to anger and great in mercy the Lord is good to all his tender mercies are over all his that's an Old Testament God there's no difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God he's the same why does he seem to be so why is there so much conflict in the Old Testament well there's no grace 
I mean, there's no, there is, but there's no Jesus. There's no propitiation for the sins. The only thing you had were the sacrifices, and those only, those only covered up your sin. They never took it away. They could never cleanse you. They could only temporarily wash over you so that when the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, when he comes, you're prepared for that. It's all meant to point to that. But God has always been gracious and compassionate to those around him, Old Testament or new. It was compassionate for him to take animal skins and put them on Adam and Eve and take off their itchy you know, fig leaves that they thought was going to be good enough. No, that's, that's not going to work. It was compassionate for him to remove them from the garden and keep them from the tree of life after they sinned, or they'd have lived forever in their sin. I don't want that. It was compassionate and loving for him to begin the plan, I mean, from Genesis on, of the seed of Eve to to bring forth Jesus, the salvation of the world. He's always been the same. And when Jesus comes and says, I'm the expressed image of the Father, that's the Old Testament. What we see in Jesus is the Old Testament Father. It's still him. Full of courage. And David knew that. See, a man who's after God's own heart, Old Testament, New Testament, realizes eight and nine. They just do. They understand who God is because they've experienced that. Verse 10. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts, and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Here he takes the time to talk about him being king, and that we're in his land. You know? He is not someone, and it's maybe, I guess every one of us just has to be careful about how we envision the Lord with us. He's not in our back pocket. He's not someone we've brought along into our life. We're, we're not the star of our own show, you know? Um, we are not just actors. That's the wrong word, but we are participants in the kingdom, his kingdom. We've joined his world. We've joined his creation. We're here to walk with him and to let him rule and be in charge, you know, Sometimes we get upset or get confused and say, God, why aren't you doing what I've asked you to do? I think (laughs) you've got the roles backwards. I want you to do what I've asked you to do in my kingdom for my glory because that's best for you. That's what I want to see. You'll, You'll never have a more fulfilled life than doing what I've asked you to do each and every day and living and serving in my kingdom, you see. But when we get those things reversed, and boy, the world is... The Christian world is really writing books and getting people thinking the wrong way. We just have to be careful about that. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to boost us and buoy our spirits and help us to carry on with the Lord. And I understand that's their heart. But sometimes they get those roles reversed and they forget who they're talking about. And David reminds us, this is our king. This is our monarch. This is our supreme ruler. This is our God. He is our Lord, you know. And when he says, do something, we do it. Because he loves us. David knows that. He's only king because God made him king. He's only king, David is. 
He's only king of Israel because God made him that. He is only king because God anointed him to do so and chose him to do that. David never chose this. God chose him for it. And David faithfully serves. Now he makes mistakes in that as a man does. It doesn't change his calling and it doesn't change God's plan. Very important to know. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. I think he qualifies that on purpose. Do you call upon God in truth? There's a difference. David makes the distinction. There are those who call upon God, and there's those who call upon God in truth. What does that mean? The best way I can describe it is, and it's only from examples, I think, in Scripture, when we see, the one that comes to mind, of course, it keeps coming up, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When, When they're about to be thrown into the furnace because they won't do what the king wants them to do by bowing down and worshiping this, this golden idol. He says, don't you understand what's about to happen to you? If you don't, I'm going to throw you away. And they say, if the Lord wants to preserve us. And that's their way of calling upon God in truth. Um, I don't call upon God with an ultimatum. You know, you better do this. I'm not sure I'm going to go to church tomorrow or next week. That's not calling upon God in truth. He's not your Lord. He's not your king. He's your servant at that point. And so when David says this, if you want these things that he just described, and then you need to call upon God in truth. He's near to those who call upon him. He's distant then from those who don't call upon him in truth. It feels that way. When he says at the beginning of this section that we, he, he raises those up who are bowed down, there's humility there, I think. And that's part of that calling upon God in truth. A righteous man falls. He falls all the time, but he gets back up again. The Lord helps him up. He's a humble person when they stumble or when they fall. And I don't know if it's necessarily sin or when things just don't go right or they make mistakes, simple mistakes or, or big ones. A humble, righteous person, God picks up. All the time, he's constantly helping us up. I'm watching my, my, my new grandson walk, and I get videos all the time. Now, I think they're in a hurry trying to make him walk. You know, that's my personal opinion, and I share it often. You know, he's not old enough. Leave him alone. Watch, he almost made it. He's going to fall. You know? And everybody's cheering in the group chat that we have for the, oh, he's almost there. I said, no, he's not. He fell. You know? Not even close. Leave the poor kid alone. Let him crawl for a little bit longer, you know? Jokes aside, what I see, though, is my daughter constantly helping him up and encouraging him and holding his hand and doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing, regardless of grandpa. And that love in her eyes, when she falls down, it's not a, you know, I can't believe it. I mean, you're seven months. Walk already. And I think we get the wrong idea about our father in that way. And I've talked about this many times. It's something dear to my heart. As you guys are walking with the Lord, as we're beginning to walk with the Lord and maybe run or maybe trying to do a hurdle or maybe doing some other crazy thing with the Lord 
And we fall down, but we did it by faith because we love our God and we felt us calling him towards him. And we just, you know, that's what she does. She, she sets him up and she steps away and says, come on. And he just, you know, just face plant. I'm like, he didn't even take a step. His foot didn't even come off the ground, you know. Oh, almost there, buddy. I don't want to make us all children and make us toddlers, but... Please know that when David says this, he's experienced God pick him up. And he knows that God's not calling him to do something that he can't do or isn't capable of doing or isn't going to develop into doing, you know. God picks us up. He raises up those who are bowed down. He helps us. And the eyes of all look expectantly to you, and that's exactly what little Hudson does. He looks up at mom and, how'd I do? Terrible. <laughs> he did absolutely horrible. It's not even a step. Didn't even count. I'm an excellent grandfather. And I don't care what you say. <laughs> the Lord preserves all who love him. And all the wicked he will destroy. The distinction being in that verse is when you don't love God, that's the wickedness he's talking about. What is not to love about him? What is it that causes someone to not love God, to hate his goodness, his compassion, his mercy, his grace? The only thing that causes that is a wickedness. He's not saying, I think you're wicked for not liking me. No, it's someone who doesn't like those attributes in God. Has to be, is the idea. Has to be. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. Psalm 146, our last one here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Never, ever going to stop. Never going to stop singing praises to you. Sometimes you have to say that out loud and have to just really purpose in your heart. You know? When they were offered in Babylon the idea of, of having anything from the food of the, of the king of that country, none of it was kosher, none of it was acceptable really from, from the Lord. They said, we just want to eat vegetables and fruit. Can you just let us do that? Can we do it our way? You can check us periodically to see if we're losing weight or if we're not staying healthy, and we understand that, but let us try it our way. We don't want to get into the things you're eating. Our God... The one we worship says we can't do that. And they're, they're saying this from captivity. You know, If anybody would have said, you know what? If he's not going to keep us in the land, if he's not going to keep us where, where we deserve to be, I'm going to eat whatever I want. Kind of a pouty, uh, rebellious, eat the king's food kind of thing. I'm going to really dive in. No, they stand their ground. They stand up. I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to purpose in my heart to not sin against you, even in captivity, even in Babylon, even while I'm being punished, even while we're being corrected by you. I purpose in my heart to sing praises to you. Do not put your trust in princes, verse 3, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans perish. He's not saying that Jenny shouldn't rely on me to help her with this or help her with that. She just doesn't put her, her entire trust or being in that. Her trust and being in her is in God. Because I don't know when I'm going to 
keel over, you know? I don't know when my last thump in my heart is going to be. I don't know when that, neither does she. We don't plan on death. I don't know that anybody does, but you just keep, you go on until you don't anymore. He's just saying, put your trust in the Lord. Of course, people can come alongside and help and be a part of it, but you don't put your trust in those things. And he doesn't say that they walked away from God or that they're not trustworthy or anything. You don't know if they're going to be there tomorrow. Simple as that. When you rely so heavily upon other people that if they were not in your life, you wouldn't function anymore as a Christian, you know, that's not, that's not good. That's not a strong, healthy fellowship, by the way, either. You know, I mean, I don't plan on sinning, but I am going to die, you know. And I think this church is going to just be fine without me. It ought to be. It has to be. It's going to be because Jesus is the pastor, you know, has to be that. That's all David's saying. Let God be the one in whom you trust. And he may use as the person you trust in God may bring along helpers. That's great. But the ministry continues, regardless of whether those helpers are there or not. It still goes on. Verse 5. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry, the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. David has seen all of that and gives God glory for all of it. He won, he's thankful for what God has done. Um, does it happen all the time? It doesn't. Some people don't get out of prison. Some people do die of hunger and starvation. That does happen. David's just saying, I've seen God do it. I've seen miraculous things take place. Verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. There it is again. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. Um, I wrote here, and this is a while ago, um, God brings an orderly life, not a chaotic one. He is not the author of confusion in many ways. He's not the author of confusion, not just uh, when I can't make a decision, or I don't know which way to go. Oftentimes, that's just a call to prayer. When I'm in a confused place, it doesn't mean that Satan is confusing me. It just means that I need to seek God for direction in this next step. I don't know. Both look okay according to God's word. That's a fair evaluation of the situation. I could go left and I could go right. I'm not confused. I mean, I am. I don't know which way to go, but I'm not in sin either. You know, There are clear choices out there. They're like, that is sin. <laughs> Not an option for the believer. So left is the way I'm going to go. You know, that's, a, that's the path I have to take. There are other times when both options are okay. And now Satan isn't the author of that confusion. That's just a call to prayer. On the other hand, a life full of chaos, a life full of conflict, a life full of, and I mean inner and interpersonal, constantly, uh, flesh rising up all the time. That's a That's a warning. That's a red flag because God brings an orderly life. He says, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. Not the righteous. The righteous, the storms are there, but we're sleeping on the boat. You know, he can calm the sea like we sang, but he can also give us peace 
during the storm, you see. And David knows that. He still had to swing his sword in battle. He didn't just get to stand there and say, look, nobody can touch me like a force field. He was warring, you know. God brings an orderly life, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The kingdom of God doesn't ever come to an end. We know that. I think we live that, or at least we, ex- we, we express that verbally. Um, but the kingdom of God doesn't lose this battle. We don't lose this war. We win. Darkness is going to come to an end. Evil will come to an end. Everything's going to be put in its place, but the kingdom of God is victorious, and, and we're in that. We're in that. We're in the kingdom of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you win. You're going to be. Now, we're battling for sure, but David wants to point way ahead and say, this is never going to stop. God's reign never ceases like it does here on earth, and a new administration comes in, and we're not so sure about this new administration or this new king or this new leader. I don't know what's going to happen. That's not him. Jesus will be forever seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father will be forever seated. And the kingdom of God will continue forever in perfect righteousness. And we've joined that team. And that's to be encouraging this morning. As Monday's coming and the battles rage in our lives, understand you're fighting on the right side. Our side wins. And you can do it with confidence. Next week we'll finish up with 147, 148, 149, and 150. And uh, So read ahead if you'd like. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the time we've had in your word. Many tired faces here today from camp and from serving and from life, from work, but we've been refreshed. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Thank you for the peace you've given us today in our hearts. Thank you for the things you've caused us to think about and to pray about, for bringing things up in your word that spoke to us this morning. That's what we prayed at the beginning, that your Holy Spirit would speak. And those things that you've spoken, Lord, help us not to lose those or let those things fade, but to meditate on them, to think on them, to chew on them, God. Lord, we pray that this would be a week of prayer for us, a week of walking with you, a week of peace in our hearts with you, God, a week of victory, though, over all that the world has to bring like David. We're going to lead. We're going to be about your kingdom and about your business while we're here. We're going to do what you call us to do. We're going to be your servants. And it's up to you, and we rely on you, and we love you, and know you will keep us and equip us for the week ahead. Lord, bless these folks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, there'll be people up here to pray with you. Uh, Otherwise, have a great rest of the week.